I'm Cedar Lewison, and you're about to listen to one of the stories from my book, The First 14,439 Words. All the stories are written by me, and they're written in the spirit of text as artwork. I work as an artist and writer and curator, and I've written a lot of different short stories, almost as if the stories are sculptures. I'm interested in the idea of writing by visual artists and novels by visual artists, and all these stories are written in that way. So although the stories are narrative, they're also kind of like artworks in a way. They're often written in response to a location or in response to a feeling or emotion, but I kind of see them as sculptures. And I'm really happy to have other people that I don't know read the stories, because in a way that brings them to life and turns the sculptures into real things like sound artworks. So they're a bit quirky. I hope you enjoy them and I hope you'll come back and listen to them next time. The Reggae Detective the next morning, I woke up too early. My throat was dry and I stumbled to the kitchen and had a large glass of orange juice. Around two in the afternoon, my phone beeped. It was a text message asking if I could meet an artificial intelligence programmer from Warsaw in Poland. He was in London in order to collect some files in relation to some research I'd been asked to do. I replied to the text saying that was fine. Immediately, another text arrived with the meeting time and address. I googled the person I was meeting. At 7.30, I walked into the Coach and Horses pub in Soho, on the corner of Romley and Greek Street. Dr. Zibok and his assistant were waiting for me when I arrived. Her name was Kata. They were both dressed head to toe in black. Not black but super black, black hole black, darkest black known to man black. Him, he was a big man, maybe 40, 45 years old, rotund and bearded, with black framed glasses, blonde hair that was close shaved at the sides, and longer but thinning on the top. She was about 25, long blonde hair, and could not have been more Aryan looking if she tried. Buxom, you know? They were both drinking what looked like pints of lager. The pub was noisy and crowded, and they suggested we go outside so they could smoke. It had just stopped raining, and the last of the evening sun pushed through the heavy clouds. As soon as we sat down at the wooden tables outside, Dr. Zibok discreetly passed me a small brown padded envelope, which I put into the inside pocket of my jacket. I did not bother to look inside or ask any questions. The pub appeared to be full of creative media types. Middle-aged men in shirts without ties. Maybe they worked in film distribution or as agents for UK celebrities. I mentioned how the famous sage and writer, Geoffrey Barnard, had been a regular of this pub, but the Poles had never heard of him. They had ordered pickled eggs from the bar, a speciality of the coach and horses. Clearly a novelty. We sat drinking our drinks and they told me about what they'd been doing in London. Her buying white shoes and visiting the Imperial War Museum, him visiting the Science Museum. 
He was vegan, but she ate meat and wanted to try some of London's famous Chinese roasted red duck. We ate in Chinatown. After dinner, I was on the verge of going home, but the two Poles invited me for more drinks near their hotel in Shoreditch. Why not? I thought to myself. Be a good London host. We went up to the corner of Charing Cross Road and Tottenham Court Road and attempted to hail a taxi. It was raining again and it took about 10 long minutes before our taxi finally stopped. The cab had a strange electric door which took a long time to open. It was slightly ridiculous waiting for this slow door to allow us entrance into the taxi. But the driver seemed incredibly proud of the contraption. Almost there, he said. Inside the cab, Kata played with the electric windows, winding them up and down and up and down. We talked more in the taxi about the future of AI. Dr. Zibok was working on various new programs, wearable technology and smart drugs. He was a bit tight-lipped about his research, but I'd heard a few things on the grapevine, so was able to prompt him. These types are always paranoid, and maybe rightly so. I asked them if they wanted to go for cocktails at Shoreditch House, but they said they had some friends waiting for them. We took the taxi to the Owl and Pussycat Club on Redchurch Street. Inside, we met more Pauls, a novelist I'd never heard of, and another scientific researcher. They were both in their early 30s, both also dressed in super jet black clothing. The novelist was wearing a Breckling watch, easily worth about 5k. Both were based in London now. They were both drinking beers. The other scientific researcher was called Petter and had a big beard. I went to the bar and ordered a whiskey for myself and two rum and cokes for Dr. Zibok and Kata. I paid with my card. The owl on pussycat was busy. We sat in the garden and the novelist talked about Polish literature, a subject about which I know next to nothing. He suggested I read Stanislav Lem, more drinks. The novelist and other guy ordered a round of rooms. We were joined by two young women, one Latvian, one Irish. The Latvian was wearing a jean shirt, which had a blue grid pattern on it. The Irish girl had a green Adidas sweatsuit with a pleated short skirt. The Polish novelist whispered in my ears, be careful of the Latvian, she gives me the creeps. I looked him dead in the eye, thanking him for the warning. I went to the toilet in the Owl and Pussycat. It felt good to be alone for a minute. When I came back to the table, Kata passed me her camera and I flicked through her touristy photos from two days spent in London. There were pictures of Harrods, Buckingham Palace, Harvey Nicks and most bizarrely Primark. She said she had been most excited about visiting the budget clothing store and had found many bargains to take back to Warsaw. Quickly, it was kicking out time. Someone suggested we carry on drinking at the bandstand in Arnold Circus Park around the corner. The novelist said he had some grass. We first went to an off-license on Brick Lane and picked up some more beers. I thought of something stronger, but I didn't bother. Walking from Brick Lane to Arnold Circus, I chatted to Megan, the Irish girl. She said she had been in London around six months and worked in a pub where she'd met the Polish novelist. She shared a room with another girl who is a psycho and keeps stealing her clothes. I suggested that maybe she was just burying them without asking. 
No, she's a fucking psycho. I tried to relate to Megan's situation, remembering years back when I had lived in a shared house in London. I attempted to talk her around. Maybe her roommate was not all that bad. Go easy type of thing. This all just made Megan's blood boil. She appeared really angry. Fuck it, I thought to myself. She can sort out her own shit. Now or in 50 years time. Whatever, man. Arnold Circus, London E2, is an amazing place. I reckon it's kind of spiritual or has some cosmic energy or something. You walk up two flights of eight steps before you reach the main bandstand area. It's not really a park, more an elevated roundabout. There are seven large plane trees which surround the central bandstand. Like witches at a pagan ceremony, the floor is grey-brown gravel covered by a very light dusting of fallen greenish-brown leaves. The park itself is surrounded by state buildings. The oldest social housing in England, I think, but I'd have to check. From where I'm sitting, I can just make out the names Hurley House, Eiffel Buildings and Merrill House. There's also a school building on the corner, the Rochelle School, which has a big stone plaque saying 1899. I think the Rochelle School is now artist studios and a fancy canteen. The majority of the buildings on Arnold Circus are made from small rusty red brick. The windows all have old-looking white wooden frames. The whole place has that lived-in London look that's getting rarer and rarer nowadays. The bandstand we are sitting under is an octagonal structure made of wood and painted racing green. It looks 100% British. The roof is made from red tiles which are going green from moss, cars just around the road beneath the noise of their engines echoing off the red brick wall of the buildings. The Polish novelist rolled a wreather and passes it round. The wreather came to me. I inhale. The hot smoke burned my throat and I felt it hit my lungs. I exhale. I take another longer tot and pass the duchy. I looked over and Megan was chopping up some white powder on the table tennis table. I could not tell what it was. Coke? Okay, speed maybe. She was dividing it into two small wraps. A light from the bandstand shone down on her face. Surrounded by darkness, there was something horrific and contorted about her face. Her face was a death mask, evil, incarnate, hideous, bony and spiteful. I said something about how we used to call splish zoots back in the day. Other than me, Megan was the only native English speaker in the group. The word zoot was new to these Eastern Europeans. Like zoot suit, Kata asked. Exactly, I said. The Polish novelist started to talk about the films of Spike Lee in relation to Wojciech Smatysnow. I felt like I was 15 years old, hanging out in a park at one in the morning, drinking beers and smoking dope. Except I didn't feel the wired paranoia like I would have when I was 15. It was a fairly mellow scene. The air felt crisp, not too cold, perfect for street drinking. Out of nowhere, a Japanese guy popped up. He looked like he could have been a fashion student from St. Martin's or something. All his clothes looked designer pieces. Baggy plus four trousers, an asymmetric jacket, which looked like it had bleach thrown at it. And his shoes. Well, I say shoes, but they were more like sculptures on his feet. All interlocking shapes and zips and molded plastic. 
In very bad English, he asked if he could buy some dope from us. Someone passed the reefer, and that seemed to satisfy him momentarily. Dr. Zibok asked me a question about the UK agency I worked for, but I was not so out of it that I could not give a reply. I told him I worked for various contractors to pass on information between different research departments in the UK and around the world. He took the answer for what it was, a brush off, but changed the subject. I felt as if a steam train had racing through my veins. Arnold Circus Banstan had a beauty and serenity about it. I'd been in this park hundreds of times before, but never really considered it. Something about its circular architectural form, the elevated height which it stood on in the middle of this Victorian social housing, the electric light in the darkness gave the red bricks a slightly sinister air. I can't say why, it was just a feeling that came over me. It could have been knowing that around a hundred years earlier, Jack the Ripper had stalked these very streets. But it was not that. I looked over, and the Latvian girl had passed out on the table tennis table in the middle of the bandstand, her legs dangling off the table. I took another swig of beer. I attempted to chat to the Japanese guy, but my mind was pretty blank on the subject of Japanese culture. All I could think of was the film Tempopo, a weirdly arty, erratic film about food. But I couldn't really remember much about it. The Japanese guy appeared extremely grateful to my efforts, however. He said what a fantastic group of friendly and intelligent people we were, and how lucky he was to have met us. I told him to stop being so Japanese. He apologised and asked if we had any weed to sell. Dr. Zibok and Kata said their goodbyes and headed to their hotel. Not much longer after, the Polish novelist and his friend wake up the passed out girl and stumble off with her and Megan, the Irish girl. I'm left on my own under the bandstand with the weird Japanese guy who's dressed up like some sort of techno pirate. It's a bit awkward. And he also leaves. So I'm on my own, finishing a beer. I feel pretty good. I sit there contemplating, not very much, for about five minutes when two drunken people stumble up the steps. It's a man and young woman. He's in a suit and he looks about 25. She wearing what looks like a tracksuit. They say hello to me and start playing music from a phone. I ask them if they want the bandstand to themselves, but they say no. When the guy speaks, it's obvious he's South African. He says he's a bond trader in the city. The young woman says she works in a cloakroom in a club. They only met half an hour ago in a bar on Shoreditch High Street. They both tell me their names, but I forget them instantly. I still have a beer in my bag and offer them it. On the phone, they play songs by Lil Wayne and Drake. The trader guy says he has some coke and does either of us want any. I say no, but the woman says yes. They do their lines on the ping pong table. Then the woman, I think her name is Alice, suggests we go to her place, which is just around the corner. She says we'll have to be quiet because she has a flatmate. It seems like a good idea, so we walk for about 10 minutes maybe until we are in a 1970s style council estate. It's all concrete corridors and heavy doors. We go up to a third floor flat and we are in her place, in a tiny kitchen. The trader suggests more coke. They say, why not, and snort a line. I have the sensation of the powder going up my nose, but I'm fairly certain it's not cocaine, more like baking powder. 
Alice gets out a laptop computer and starts to play music from YouTube. Then another woman walks into the kitchen. I look over. It's Megan, the Irish girl from earlier. What the fuck, I think to myself. She's in a dressing gown and it looks like she has just got out of bed. Megan stares straight at me. Her eyes are hard and fixed. I remember a conversation about her psycho flatmate and the point is made. It's as if she is telepathically telling me to keep my mouth shut. Megan disappears and Alice pulls a bottle of vodka from the fridge. We all do a shot. The South African trader guy is going on about how much money he makes, how easy it is for him to make money, and how he and his brother are going to start their own trading business. Out of the blue, Alice says, Can I bite one of you? The South African trader looks at me. I look back at him. I'm really not up for being bitten right now by some crazy girl I've just met in the park. But luckily, it seems as if the trader guy is. Sure, he says. Go for it, babe. Alice tells him to take his top off. I'm fascinated and sip my vodka. He has a good body. Looks like he goes to the gym. Alice quickly takes hold of the trader's arm and sinks her teeth deep into the flesh. It's not a gentle peck, but a deep piercing bite. The trader screams a high-pitched cry, part pleasure, part pain. Immediately, blood starts to drip from the trader's arm to the floor. Alice is busy sucking as much blood up as possible. The South African trader remains extremely calm, but then maybe he's in shock. But he simply strokes Alice's hair as she continues to feast on the flesh wound. This has been a weird fucking night, I think to myself, and decide it's time to go home. Alice leaves the trader half slumped on a chair and sees me to the door. She has blood all around her mouth and her eyes look yellow and black. She gives me a hug and I sell at her on Facebook. I make it out of the estate and hail a taxi. It's around 4.30am and daylight will be here soon. Back in Peckham, I close the front door behind me. I reach into my inside jacket pocket and the brown envelope Dr. Zibak had given me at the start of the night before is still there. Hi, this is Cedar. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the short story. If you'd like to find out any more information about me and my work, you can visit my website, cedarlewison.com. I'm also on Insta. So Cedar is C-E-D-A-R. Lewison is L-E-W-I-S-O-H-N. Visit the website, check out Insta, and thanks again for listening, and bye for now.